0: the ball away he's like control the ball guys are trying to dodge guys and dive into the crease like it was nuts so the the guy the 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 general manager for the team puts his arm around me in the huddle before overtime and he says to me he goes David you realize that if we don't win this game you'll never be able to give your stuff away after this so the last thing I was thinking was business right I'm thinking I got to win the world championship not how many lacrosse sticks am I going to sell the next day
1: He was a national champion at Princeton. He was a two-time defensive player of the year. He was a two-time national team player and two-time world champion. He started playing lacrosse in middle school. It wasn't even his favorite sport when he accomplished all of the aforementioned. On top of all this, Dave Morrow has built the biggest lacrosse and hockey equipment company on the planet. It's called Warrior Sports. He was acquired by New Balance in 2004, and he's still the CEO, driving both lacrosse, hockey, and soccer, to all new heights. How did he do all this? You'll find out. Plus, his wine and dying event with Cristiano Ronaldo. Yes, that happened. And we talk about it on the show. Welcome to an all-new episode of Student Up Podcast. This is a show where I dive into the stories of some of today's leading athletes, entrepreneurs, and entertainers. And I'm your host, Paul Rabel, pro-Lacrosse player, entrepreneur, and investor. Enjoy my conversation with one of the pioneers of lacrosse, Dave Morrow. We're here in Detroit, Michigan. We're outside of Detroit. We're Warren. in Sterling,
0: Sterling Heights, actually.
1: Sterling Heights. Yeah. Not too far off from where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up about 20 minutes from here in Troy, Michigan. Yeah. And we are uh, at HQ. We're calling it Warp City. And I'm halfway out of breath because I just took probably three or 400 shots. But we're working on new products and innovations, some of which we'll talk about. But, um, like any founder of a big company that's disrupted a category, there's there's always such interesting founder stories behind it, and yours was super authentic. Growing up as a hockey player and a lacrosse player here, noticing some product efficiencies and changing them based on your relationship uh, with your father, who worked at a tubing shop, and looking at different metals and understanding, hey, this is what the sport needs. But talk about first your upbringing as a kid here definitely when kind of middle america the midwest didn't have the exposure to lacrosse how did you even find the game
0: yeah it's uh it's funny you go back in the the time machine and lacrosse in michigan back in the in the mid-80s was basically non-existent right so there were uh eight high school teams in the whole state and i think there were five middle school teams in the whole state so I grew up playing playing ice hockey. That was my passion. Played at a very high level. Played basically all year round. And it just... Uh, believe it or not, Billy, who you work so closely with here, his stepdad was the guy who sold me my first lacrosse stick. Huh. So this guy, Ron Heberts' his name, was my sixth grade science teacher. And what he did is he would... Um, have you know now you really start dating yourself they're vcr tapes of college games i, I watch vcr <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so he would play him during study hall and then he'd look around the room to see which boys weren't studying yep. and that were watching the game and then he after study hall he'd go did you like what you watched and you you'd go yeah that's really cool what is it wow he goes that's called lacrosse he goes i can teach you how to play but you uh you need a stick and then he had a box of sticks and he'd sell them for 20 bucks. And so I remember going home asking my parents for 20 bucks for a lacrosse stick <laughs> and they didn't even know what I was talking about. And I said, It's a sport. And you run around. So they go, Okay, we, we're, we're down with that. So they gave me the 20. I came home and it was one of those things where we all looked at it and no one knew what to do with it. And then my, my dad would play catch with me on the front yard with a baseball glove. So he would just throw the ball to me and catch it with his baseball <laughs> glove. Yeah. And then I would uh, play with my stick. And then we would have basically intramural lacrosse where we'd show up on Saturday mornings. We'd do basic skills. And then we'd break up into teams and just scrimmage. Yeah
1: you played a ton probably just in the backyard with friends. Like I grew up playing street hockey, touch football, tackle football with buddies. And then we would only practice once during the season in lacrosse and we play on weekends. So you and I, who have both played at the highest level in this sport, you know, I look at the talent now and I'm like, holy shit, these young kids are, are unbelievable. It's because they're playing in these club programs and stuff like that. How did you begin to develop skill in
0: lacrosse? Especially the point
1: where you ended up going to Princeton and playing.
0: You know, it was—I I never really viewed myself as a as a skilled lacrosse player. I, I was—I had a well, you were a defender who would score goals. Yeah, I, but I had a very it hardly special, happens
1: today <laughs> special
0: gift where I could run really fast. Yeah, that was my thing. I could run fast, and I was tough because I played hockey and checking and all that was was came was natural to me. But we didn't have. The level of what i would say high skill coaching not even close to what the kids have so i was fortunate enough that the school i went to was very athletic yeah. so the the even the, the the middle school and then brother rice high school was really good at everything so yeah. they were good at football and basketball and hockey and lacrosse and golf and tennis and swimming so state champions are, are vying for the state championship and basically every sport so even though our lacrosse team in, in high school I would say wasn't super skilled they were super athletic like I mean I played if you can imagine this the attackman that was a junior when I was a senior in high school uh ended up playing linebacker for University of Michigan and ended up playing for the the Colts yeah and then another my other defensive partner was a defensive end for University of Michigan so you know i 'm six foot at that time, maybe 180, 175. I looked like a Lilliputian standing next to these guys. <laughs> <laughs> and, I mean the attackman his only move was he 'd get the ball on the end line and run straight at me yep and it was like a blocking sled just trying to trying to stop him and so you had these more of what i 'd say physical battles than than skill battles and and that was really my what what I relied on was my i was just say my natural athletic ability, my lacrosse i q was very low and i didn't know that because in michigan i was the best lacrosse player in michigan but yep. when i went to princeton i quickly learned that was being the tallest stump in the swamp like that didn't really mean anything <laughs> <'cause>...
1: <laughs> yeah so we'll, we'll, we'll jump to princeton but first shout out to brother rice they they've won what we were talking about last night 16 straight state titles or more it's some, like,
0: something like that they, it, they
1: yeah. haven't lost a game in the state of michigan in some time
0: well, in, in 16 years or 15 years, I think they've only lost one game in the state of yeah. Michigan. And then the state championship, I believe it's been 14 or 15 years in a row.
1: What, what would you say as a defender and one of the best of all time, and now we're transferring into Princeton, but like your, your, your soft skill, the, the, the mental edge that you had, what would you say was, was the most important characteristic that defined you as a player outside of being fast
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, for me, it was intensity and I, I always operated under this belief that there's no such thing as a nice defenseman. And really what I, what I tried to do is scare the guy I covered. So basically every ground ball I'd hit him as hard as I possibly could. Every time I poke checked him, I poked him as hard as I possibly could. And, the the thing for me was you always had to establish that in, like, the first one or two one-on-ones, right? So you're, you're feeling the guy out. So on the first ground ball we go after, I'm going to crack him. And yeah. on the first one-on-one, I'm going to give him everything I have. And the uh, the guy figured out very quickly, like, this guy isn't trying to cover me, he's trying to hurt me. Yeah. And for me, I, I played with a super high level of intensity, and it would come through like that, and then after about – 10 minutes most of the guys I covered would just stop yep they just camp out on the crease and when you're covering the best player on the other team and he decides he doesn't want to play that game that day yeah that usually disrupts the whole offense so that that was basically what I did is I was the stopper they would match me up on the other team's guy who scored seven or eight points and coach T would just be don't don't let him score a point yep And, and that's basically what I did
1: At Rainbow Companies, we consider ourselves a growth business. And on this podcast, I've shared with you before that we're always looking to hire. Our next candidate, it's a part to full-time graphic designer and illustrator. You know where we look to fill the role first? ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way, so they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you and me. Their platform learns what you're looking for first. They identify people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you and I find our next hires. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applicants so you never miss a great match. That's priority. And be certain businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs, not just small ones like us. And now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free that's right, the best offer we can give you on a weekly basis. It's free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com forward slash cross. That's ZipRecruiter.com forward slash C-R-O-S-S-E. ZipRecruiter. It's the smartest way to hire. Your freshman year, you said, was pretty frustrating. You were still you know, thinking about, ah, I'm so much better at hockey, and the skill from the East Coast players was higher how did you close that gap which is sheer intensity because then boom sophomore year an all-american and uh and all ivy and and leading this team as a top defender like that's a that's a small period of time to make that
0: jump yeah i mean i i was in the fall of my freshman year i was the worst guy in the team i was out of 44 guys the 44th player and i tried to quit three months three weeks into fall ball who talked you into staying coach t coach t basically sat me down and 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 closed the door and and i'm not get into the level of intensity of the discussion yeah. <laughs> but it was a very very pointed discussion where he just said you can't quit i brought you in here you're going to be a hockey you're to be a lacrosse player because i actually quit and started playing on the hockey team for like a week
1: oh and you left and i it? just
0: left i didn't and i didn't tell him i quit i just stopped showing up for practice because I was too embarrassed to tell him I didn't want to play anymore, so I yep. figured I'd just stop showing up and it would just go away. Yeah. You know, the the, the stupid uh, thinking of an 18-year-old, but that, that didn't really work. So he convinces me to stay, and I was, you know, I'd get a little bit of playing time, but I really, really what it was is I, uh, you know, if you're winning by a lot, you come in in the last few minutes – and so when, when T told me, convinced me to stay, I said, my goal is to be a starter when I was a senior. That was my goal. Yeah. I said, I'm going to work really hard. And what happened was at the end of our freshman year, you have this exit interview with the coach, which everybody has. And then he tells me, he goes, David, you know, we're, we're counting on you next year. We want you to start for us. And I'm thinking to myself, you want me to start? I never even touched the field. How, yeah. can, I, how can I start? Yeah. So here's your workout plan. Here's all the stuff you need to do. Meanwhile, that's what he tells everybody, right? I didn't. I thought he was talking to me, though. Yeah. So I really took it to heart. So
1: that's what I was gonna say. You felt like he he does say that to everyone as a coach.
0: Well, he did. Yeah. I, and later, when I asked him that, he goes, "David, don't you think you're the only one we say that to?" <laughs> he goes, we, "Good motivator." Yeah. He goes, "We say that to every guy." And really, you know, you uh, now that I think about it, it was fear that motivated me fear of failure because our opener was always against hopkins at homewood yep and i go in front of whatever thousands of people i go i'm gonna go out and make an ass of myself in front of all these people and that scared the hell out of me so all summer long i did all the extra work that i needed to do and then i came back in the fall and i i was just more prepared and more athletic and faster and stronger. And at the end of fall ball, he goes, I'm really impressed. You did a great job. And he goes, we're going to start you. And not only are we going to start you, I'm going to have you cover the best guy at Hopkins who's a senior. You know, I was a sophomore and their leading score. He goes, that's who you're going to cover. And he tells me that in October. Yep. So literally for. Yeah. During fall ball. Yeah, so for four Jeez. months, I had bad dreams that I'm going to be getting run around and scored on and everybody laughing at me. And, and I had this guy's picture up on my wall. Who was it? Matt Panetta. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how did that game go? It went really well. Yeah. We ended up winning. Um, you know, I don't remember the exact details, but I I was extremely successful in my mission of yeah.
1: You went out there on that first ground ball and laid the hammer.
0: Yeah, and and the best part was is you know I didn't wasn't on any of the scouting reports, so when I walked out on the yep. field, they're like, who the hell is this guy? He,
1: well, my freshman year in two thousand five, our first game was against Princeton. That was always the deal, and we played at at Princeton at that nineteen fifty two fifty four stadium. Right. right. Uh, And that was so awesome. It was on ESPNU. It was March 1. The game's changed. But back to that first check. So this is where the entrepreneurial spirit kicks in for you. Um, you We talked a little bit about it this morning, how wooden handles were used by the North Carolina team back at the time. It used to be just full wooden sticks in lacrosse. The wood that it's still used by the Iroquois uh, during the World Games just like cuts right through your skin and that hurts. But then it transitioned to aluminum, and uh, you're you're whacking people with aluminum. And talk through, okay, something's in front of me here. I'm sniffing something out that's applicable to me as a player here. I'm an all-American in college. Let me see what this is like and how you basically brought and introduced titanium to lacrosse.
0: It's it was simply based out of need. Right There was zero desire to start a business or be be an entrepreneur when I was a defenseman I was a thug I beat the shit out of people, yeah, and so when that happens with those old aluminum handles you 'd bend them and yep. and and guys these days don 't even understand what that means because they just have better technology right. The soft aluminum handles would basically bend every time you check somebody, so your stick had this weird curve that went up and down side to side so you're constantly trying to rebend it to get it straight but it was never straight so you'd go through 20 30 handles if you're really beating up on somebody and uh, it was we in did, a season in a season and you needed something that you could whack somebody with that wasn't going to bend yep and i my dad owned a business a small company that made hose and tube assemblies and my from a very young age from 13 years old my dad always made me work in his shop so i was basically a skilled tradesman as a young guy like i worked in welding and machining and doing all kinds of other things and so at the time i was working in his uh bending department and it's really funny because he this is the summer before my junior year and these two guys come in and they're from University of Pennsylvania, and they just invented a synthetic snowshoe called Atlas Snowshoe was the name of the product. But it was basically an aluminum frame snowshoe that had a rubber decking in the middle and an aluminum claw that you'd you'd uh, strap onto your winter boots and you'd go trekking with snowshoes. And now those are all everywhere. But at that time, they were the first ones to do it. But the problem they had was their aluminum frames were bending because they were hitting rocks and things like that. So we need stronger tubing. And then we went out that summer and we were, you know, I I meet these young guys, which at the time I wasn't thinking I could be them. But my job was basically let's find some tubing that won't bend that we can still fabricate for them. And back then you didn't have the internet. You had these green books called Thomas Registries where you (laughs) look through these giant encyclopedias for tubing suppliers and one of the tubes we brought in to test was a company in Detroit that made titanium tubing. And that's kind of where the whole the whole thing started. And my dad came and watched me play in uh, April of 92. And we were playing North Carolina down at North Carolina. And he saw me just going on and off, on and off. And he's like, you know, remember we talked about trying to find a stronger, something stronger. He's like, I think think we might have something and so he you know dug up one of the pieces of titanium tubing that we tried to make a snowshoe out of yep and made a sample and then he sent it to practice and i remember everybody looking at it because back then shafts were either painted white or black or they were wood and it was a silver shaft but that time it was circular and just kind of pinched in a press so it was ovalized so you could get the orientation of the stick mm-hmm. and then i took it to practice and started whacking everybody and then the attack went like Damn, that hurt! You know? Yeah, <laughs> so I'm going. And then the and it my, was lighter, right? Oh, it was it was half the weight and five times the strength. So the other my other deep partners like, let me try it, let me try it. And then by the end of practice, they I wanted one, so I called my dad and said, send more down here. And I go to Coach T. I said, can we use these things? He goes, yeah, there's there's nothing against that. And so that was the really the first game that I featured it in was when the, that game I scored two goals in in the semifinal game and we beat. We beat Carolina, but it, it just—it was a very bizarre feeling because it felt like you had ankle weights on, and they were just taken off because your stick was half the weight. So you yeah. can imagine for a D stick, how much oh, quicker you could check. How they much were so heavy? Yeah, shooting, ball handling, and uh, anyways, it was—it sold itself. I mean, literally, the only reason somebody wouldn't have bought a titanium handle at the time was because they couldn't afford it right cuz it was much more expensive a a normal aluminum handle was 10 bucks yep a short titanium handle was 100 yeah and the way we uh marketed it was was cuz i was still in school right so we we win the championship everybody's using these titanium handles this is in hand- 92 yeah we win the national championship they're all using the handles and i think it was one of the coaches in the final four kind of uh put up a soft protest to our victory saying that we had an unfair advantage because we were using these handles. Yeah. And then people started calling my dad's manufacturing shop saying we want these. And my dad pulls me in the office and says, I think we should start a business. He put some, you know, money in to get it started. I think it was like ten grand or twenty grand, something like that. Yep. We we named the company Warrior because that's where I went to high school it was yep. the Brother Rice Warriors where I started really Developing my passion for lacrosse. And then the way we, we made it, the, the real technology from summer of 92 to when we launched the product in February of 93 was making it octagonal. That took a lot of technology yep. to, because um, titanium it has to be um, cold worked a certain way to get its strength. But that was, once we made it octagonal, then what we did is we took a attack shaft and a D shaft and we sent one to every college coach in the country and then we sent a bill an invoice yeah (laughs) and he said if you want these pay for them if you don't send them back
1: yeah it's kind of an interesting strategy like we're typically used to hearing just product seeding and saying hey try this out and give me feedback you were so confident in it you said try this out you're really going to like it oh and then i'm going to send you an invoice but i guess they weren't bound to paying it but everyone did except one
0: everyone kept the sticks. And everybody paid except for, like, two teams. Who didn't pay? I, everybody you asked me pay? that. <laughs> I don't remember. But everyone paid. And and it, it was funny because in the f- spring of 93, I'm still playing, right? I'm still at Princeton, captain yeah. of the team. And my buddies, one of my great buddies from high school, graduated a year early. So he was the one manning the phones in the office. Kind of running the the day to, the day to day stuff till I got out of school. Were you sharing office space with your dad? Yeah, exactly. It was a warrior was embedded into his in his uh, facility, and
1: then he put together the LLC at the time and and set up a, a PO box and you had a phone line so you could handle these. You had that green book so you knew the college addresses to send these things out to. Like, how did all this come? Is it because
0: it was all word of mouth and and we took a one eight hundred ad in Lacrosse magazine, so we had a black and white ad. And the only way you how could, much did that cost at the time? Maybe five hundred bucks or yeah. something. I mean, the only it's way like what it costs now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the only way
0: you could get uh, order was you had to call the one eight hundred number, and my buddy Adam would answer the phone and take your information down, and then we'd send you one at a time. And yeah, you know, in the in the first year, the company did like three hundred thousand dollars in sales. So you have no receivables, you have no customers. And you're just selling direct one at a time, two at a time. How were you able
1: to keep up with the inventory?
0: Well, we had a local supplier, right? So we would just keep feeding them orders as we needed them. So mm. we'd uh, run out or we'd get close to running out and say, hey, when you make tubing like that, you'd at that time, it wasn't cut to length. We'd have to order it in these long, random lengths. And then we'd cut it, polish it, and, and uh, prepare it, but drill the holes in it for the for the head, but We'd get them in like 15 foot lengths, 20 foot lengths, and then you'd just figure out the most efficient way to cut it down and scrap out what was left over, and then you just make them as you need them.
1: You know, on this show, we're always on our kick to grow, but nothing gets tackled without the minute tasks and projects that absolutely need to get done, but don't always have the time or person power to do them. Welcome to Startup Growing Pains. And we've got a solution for this work. Use Magic. Magic gives you a team of trained remote assistants that you and your staff can use anytime, 24-7 for almost any job that needs to get done. It's very affordable, no salaries to pay, no minimum commitments. Use Magic for tasks like data entry, sales, customer support, research, transcription, booking flights, and more. This is technology sourcing at its finest, people. Here's what you do. You'll set up an account, then simply reach out to Magic with your request via text or email email and a real assistant will message you back right away. They can do just about anything most employees do, but Magic never gets sick, never quits, and doesn't require HR. Use Magic as often as you need, only pay for what you use by the minute. Now here's the special offer. You can see what a difference Magic can make to your business by accessing this special offer to get you started. Full transparency, I've done it, and I absolutely love it. You can get a free consultation by phone and priority service. Your projects will be the first in line to get done by going to my special url it's getmagic.com forward slash rabel start delegating to magic today i trust the service and love it go to getmagic.com forward slash rabel that's getmagic.com forward slash rabel Yeah, I've always thought some of the best innovators in in sport or in any industry are often those that are coming from the outside with a more objective view. Now you know you were an all everything all world player in lacrosse, so people would say, "Well, well, Dave Marrows a lacrosse guy, but you know you were hockey first, grew up in a non-traditional lacrosse state, and your dad, the same dad that was playing catch with a glove, saw the deficiencies in the equipment and just passed the specs to him and he went and figured it out. But at the time, different than today is I guess lacrosse wasn't as commercialized. Like Princeton University wasn't bound to a qu- equipment manufacturer. Like today, if a college kid tried to like start his own piece of equipment at a school like Princeton or, or Johns Hopkins, he wouldn't be allowed to just roll it out on field just the way that sport has evolved. Is that right?
0: Yeah. And, and back then, there was no such thing as an equipment deal. Nobody yep. had those. Yep. The brands, the only two brands at the time were Brian and STX. That was your only two choices. Yep. And, and an equipment deal with a school didn't exist. I mean, the shoes that we wore at Princeton were like these old Converse football shoes that the football team had used out you know, to the point where they'd be in the garbage and our equipment manager would put new insoles in them and that's what we used. I mean, it was it was not as the fancy locker rooms and the fancy yeah. equipment and all the apparel and footwear the guys get now. It was nothing like that.
1: So you did $300,000 roughly in your first year. You had about $10,000 of seed friends and family money from, from your father and a buddy. And, and like, did you always just think we're going to be a lacrosse shaft company or, or when did your, when did your mindset change?
0: Well, what what happened was is I, as I started looking closer, I said, All my friends, because I'm still playing on the US team, have, you know, I started talking to them about other areas of equipment, heads, protective equipment. Everyone had ideas for how you could make things better. And I said, I think I can just work, collaborate with my buddies and continue to improve. And so we we got into making heads and we got into making equipment. And the, the big thing for me is, you know, I didn't have the wherewithal to really finance it to to the next level so my college roommate was the one who really gave me the the wherewithal he um his family started one of the largest healthcare companies in the world and so he made a substantial investment in the company early on yeah and then and then my my wife who at the time was my girlfriend yep. from princeton made a they made a pretty substantial investment as well so really my investors were my dad my th- my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, and my my buddy Billy Frist. Those were my three three investors.
1: And and what would you say that you know, as as now a business owner, you looked at the the uses for that capital that were coming through. Was it pretty much just like inventory, or were you looking at marketing and
0: inventory and marketing? Yeah, and and that was marketing was a big deal because at that time. I was – the sport, I'd say, was marketed in a very preppy, traditional way, and one of the things that was very iconoclastic is we – We we that was right at the time. If you go back into the early '90s, when action sports were starting to emerge, right? The X Games were just created, and so I started to look at all the the
1: grunge era,
0: the branding, and looked at all the fonts that they used and the color palettes and the way that they would treat photography. And I said, I think we can poach this look from action sports and apply it to lacrosse. And so not only were the products really good, but the marketing was completely different. And it was polarizing, right? Because there were people who thought lacrosse had to be marketed a certain way. And mm-hmm. when we applied this action sport edge to it, people freaked out. Yep. But kids loved it. Yeah. And that was, a, that was a thing we always had a lot of fun with was our marketing.
1: Yeah. Would you say that the challenges of the way that you traditionally marketed yourself represented some of the biggest you know internal struggles within the company or through the startup phase of getting in 1998 when the company really took off off the back of the World Games and you introducing other products like was it always just rose petals like holy shit we have this product and we're selling and let's raise money to make sure we can keep up with the orders
0: yeah i mean for from from 93 to 97 right there it was it was a slog right you're trying to figure out the different product categories there's a lot of money invested into the tooling and the, and we didn't have an R&D department right it's me and a handful of people yeah and i'm traveling all over the world sourcing everything doing all this stuff and playing at the same time that was the hard part cuz when in the 98 world games i was also playing yeah. <laughs> and i was the equipment manager basically because i was supplying the stuff but our staff was so small that literally the the our Man, manager nolan rogers would tap me on the shoulder during man up man down he goes the jerseys are late where are they <laughs> and there's no email at the time so i literally have to get my big cell phone you remember the bag cell phone yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then i got like, the zach morris from yeah. saved by the bell cell phone. yeah print? and yeah. you're
0: you're paying like you know five dollars a minute yelling at somebody where the hell are the jerseys and right. then this guy says this glove doesn't fit right you got to fix this you got to fix that so so the the my teammates, right, are the guys I'm trying to make, make happy. Then you're trying to play. So it was just it was a tremendous amount of stress. But the, the, that was like the watershed moment for the brand because when we sponsored Team USA, Warrior really wasn't a known brand. Yep. And the funny part was is most of the equipment we made wasn't even available for sale at retail. We just literally made it for the team.
1: Yeah, it's like you, you said, oh, there's an opportunity to sponsor the best team on earth. And it seems to be within our reach because no one else is bidding on it. So let's do it. And even though we just make handles, let's make all the other stuff right now for the players.
0: Exactly. And, and <laughs> So picture guys who have used certain brands their whole career. Like at the heads, for instance. Yep. And then we didn't really make a wide array of heads at the time. So I'm literally custom making heads just for the team. And guys are going, are you kidding me? I'm going to use this head that I've never used before and play at the highest level against Team Canada and on and on and on. And Yeah, that's, what, that's how this is going to work. And so it, you're, you talk about being in a pressure cooker. <laughs> yeah, You had to make it work. So yeah. it wasn't like we forced the guys to use the stuff. I mean, we had to make it so they wanted to use it.
1: At the time, how do you think Brian and STX missed out on that opportunity?
0: because the the number that it was like one hundred and fifty grand that they wanted for the sponsorship, which at the time would have been the biggest sponsorship for a lacrosse event ever ever, and they they said there's just there's no way we 're going to pay that and i I couldn't really afford it when I was trying to figure out how we could uh make make the, the deal and I just said yes to it, and then i'm like i 'll figure it out later, and what we ended <laughs> up doing is part of the deal is we had the exclusive apparel rights to the team USA logo. So, what I did is I sub licensed that to several other people that paid me upfront guarantees and paid me royalties on that. So, more than half of the fee I had already paid for by just reselling the uh, apparel licenses. Wow. That's how basically we, and then the rest of it, because we had already used a lot of the investor capital. I... Back then, you'd get these solicitations in the mail for credit cards. And I was probably making twenty grand a year at the time, twenty-five grand a year. And then with those credit card things, I said I was making three hundred thousand. <laughs> and my wife was the controller at the time, so when they'd call to verify my income, she would just say, "Yep, that's it." <laughs> and, and I ended up getting—I I got probably two hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars worth of credit cards. Wow. Yeah. And so then I'd use that as a use it. Yep. as a rotating line of credit. Wow. And then I remember my dad I, told me, he goes, look, man, he goes, borrow as much money as you can. He said, in the United States, if for whatever reason it doesn't work, they don't put you in debtor's prison. Yeah. He goes, you don't own anything. You just have a rented, <laughs> rented house and a, and a TV. He said, what are they going to do, take your TV and your golf clubs?
1: Yeah. So <laughs> he said, go for it. And, so it, that, and it happened to be the 98 World Games, the finals, was, from my perspective, the best game of all time. It was at Homewood Field. It was an overpouring, sold-out crowd. You guys were up by roughly 8 to 10 goals. Canada comes storming back. It goes into multiple overtimes, and USA wins. And, again, best game I've ever seen, and Warriors featured on the winning team head to toe.
0: And I'll tell you a funny story. So this is happening – and
1: are you on the field going holy shit this is unbelievable for the company but we also need to win this game.
0: No, I'm thinking we definitely need to win this game. <laughs> so we're going into overtime. I'll never forget this as long as I live and I'm going I just got to stop my guy, he can't score. And I'm, you know, getting focused and T's freaking out cuz we just had this huge run on us and our face off guy couldn't win a face off and we're throwing the ball away. He's like control the ball. Guys are trying to dodge guys and dive into the crease like it was nuts. Yeah. So the, the guy, the, the, the general manager for the team, puts his arm around me in the huddle before overtime, and he says to me, he goes, David, you realize that if we don't win this game, you'll never be able to give your stuff away after this. <laughs> oh, my god! So the last thing I was thinking was business, right? I'm thinking I got to win the world championship, not how many lacrosse sticks am I going to sell the next day. Yeah. And so I looked at the guy, and I go, like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. I mean, I wanted to strangle him. But right. So we we end up winning in double overtime and it was really cool is at the time Mark you know, Mark Millen and I were working together and yep. he was our featured endorsement athlete as well as, you know, one of our top guys and 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 Mark won the game. He took over that game. Yeah, he won the game in overtime. I mean it was I have never I've played a Lots of big games, and this was like the team was down. Like nobody wanted to step up, and Mark just kind of looked up at T, and he's like, just give me the ball. And this going to the second overtime, he was like, just make sure I get the ball. Yep. And everyone's looking at him, and sure enough, the second he got the ball, he ran by his guy and scored. Wow. He yeah. took
1: that corner dodge and split right to left and came and
0: shot that fadeaway. Yeah, and for me, I had so much pressure because I'm playing, traveling to Asia every month, trying to stay in shape, making sure the team has uh, you know, the equipment, maxing out my credit cards. And then after the guy laid that thing out, I mean, I, I, was, I was shattered. So I literally took all my equipment off and threw it in the garbage. I'm like, I'm never playing again because I'm like, I can't do this. I can't play and, you know... Operate. C- yeah, operate <laughs> yeah. At, to the business at the level it needs to. And everyone's running around partying and, and I just sat in the stands With my with my wife watching, yeah, because I go, I can't take it, I can't take it anymore. And what's funny about that is, like you talk about the trigger events, that game is what triggered MLL. Yeah, because Jake had reached out to me a few months before that, and then he and Tim Robertson were at that game, and so they see that crazy dramatic game, the back and forth, and then I, you know, it's the world championship. So I'm out till five in the morning with all my teammates celebrating the victory. Yeah. But then I have to have a meeting with Jake and Tim the next day. Yep. And talk about Major League Lacrosse and both of them go, that was one of the most amazing sports events we were ever at. We wanna do this. We can do the media part. We can do the sponsorship. You need to deliver the players. And I go you know, I've, I think I had like an hour of sleep. You know, so I'm just sitting there going, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And then afterwards, I'm kind of circled back. Is this really true? And I said, look at all I care about. These guys are my friends. These are my teammates. These are my brothers. I said, don't screw them. Like they got to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> so if you promise me they're going to get paid, you don't have to promise me it's going to last forever. But we'll give it the give it the the best try. But I'm going to go to these guys. I'm going to vouch for you guys. I'm like, we're going to we're going to give it a go, but you're going to, don't worry. You're you know, these guys are good for it. And that was the beginning of it. And who would have thought 18 years later, MLO would still be, still be going.
1: And you went full-time business operator for warrior, warrior sports. And then you actually ended up acquiring one of your competitors. Yep. And that was Brian. Yep. And that was one of the companies that we had talked about. You kind of outbid for the, for the U S team. Yep. That that marker of one-off products, gloves, um, elbows, heads that you made for your peers, you got a, a bunch of learning done, and then you start developing those products, going overseas, doing a bunch of tooling. Your acquisition of Brian, how did you look at it from a business standpoint? Why did you do it, and and where did you see the marketplace going at that time?
0: Yeah, so, so what happened after 98 98- – Warrior went on this path where we literally couldn't make it fast enough. So we we were the the business went on a meteoric rise. And in 2002, I got a call out of the blue from Jim Davis, who owns New Balance, right? And so um, we end up coming together. And then he gets involved in Major League Lacrosse. And then in 2004, I end up selling the company to New Balance. And so That was the time where we started going down the acquisition path and getting into hockey. is a Jim challenged me and he said, "Okay, what's it going to take to really grow this business?" And at the time, because we had grown so quickly, you know, Brian had was having some financial issues, and they had sold to a private equity company, and the business was over leveraged, and they basically had their their lenders foreclose on them. Got it. So we had a a bill, a uh, opportunity to buy the business at a discount which is a storied brand been around in lacrosse yep. for a long time and at that time we just saw it as a as a as a market share play and also it was uh they communicated their brand differently so warrior had a very that edgy say more action sports marketing and then brian was let's say more more has heritage traditional
1: yep they also had the intellectual property of the offset head right that's right and that was a, a big piece because you know when i graduated from hopkins and came over to mll and started working with you guys the offset head took my shot from probably like high 90s to then setting a record at one point shooting over 110 miles an hour and i realized it wasn't just the power but the feel Of that product, and we look a lot at intellectual property just in the space, and and uh, understanding how um, the, the the patent market works here, and all the time you spend thinking about innovation, how big of a piece was that? And then, as you look forward to the future of lacrosse, how do you challenge and think about innovation?
0: Yeah, the the that was a big reason for the acquisition was the intellectual property, and at the time, Warrior had already had a history of multiple patents i think i think today we've it, there's well over a hundred i think my name's probably on 70 or 80 of them i mean <laughs> you must have a patent lawyer
1: that <laughs> office right next to you yeah we we've because
0: we've, that's
1: expensive isn't it it's the very expensive it's
0: expensive to pro- to um to prosecute them to get them and it's a lot more expensive to to enforce them and you know innovation is something that every company is is challenged with, and and I think it's something that m- most companies overcomplicate. In their and and when when we go down the path of innovation, it's I make it very simple. And this is what I tell everybody: all innovation is is problem solving. That's all it is. And what happens is they say, well, why don't we see more innovation from more companies? It's simply because they choose to solve small problems. And the reason they choose to solve small problems is because when you work in a corporate environment, most of the things that I've seen is people work under this guise. They want to do the least amount of work that requires the least amount of risk Mm -hmm. where they make the most amount of money. (laughs) Yeah. That pretty much sums up corporate America. Yeah. And so... How are you going to get people who think like that? And by the way, they pretend to be different, right? Because they have to or else they'll get fired. So they pretend to be really interested in innovation and really interested in doing things differently, but they don't. Yeah. And so you take a group of people that are thinking like that and they're saying, why in the hell would I take on a big problem? Yeah. And I guess that's my strength and my weakness. I'm crazy enough that I like taking on the big problems.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you 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 bought into global soccer, yeah,
0: I and mean, I that was insane, and I didn't know shit about soccer, yeah, and it was it's great because when <laughs> when when so when,
1: let me just buy the kit rights to Liverpool, and well that that kind of reminds me on on a, on a much larger scale of like you know your time at Warrior, you had a handle and it was one hundred fifty thousand bucks to sponsor this team, ah, uh, let me just
0: go ahead and do it. Well, I remember when Jim presented it to me, he goes, "I want you to do this," and I said, "Seriously?" I said, "This is massive." You know, you realize this is global. We're going head to head with the, the big heavies of our industry, and this this is like the sport of kings in in uh, in our business. Like there's major dough spent on soccer, and I didn't know anything about the sport. And, and Jim goes, "Don't worry, Dave. You'll figure it out." I said, "Really?" And in what was I was at a point in my career where that didn't scare me anymore because it it was kind of like coach T saying, you know, go cover Matt Panetta. At that time I was scared, but I had so many moments like that where what I tell people is when you kind of have your personal breakthrough, at least for me, the fear transitions into excitement. And so, so then what happened to me is when Jim presented me with this thing of Global soccer, I got excited because I'm going. Wow, we yeah. get to stand at the big boy table and really go global, and it was awesome, man. You're traveling all over the world, meeting all these interesting people. Like I, I, I sat in Cristiano Ronaldo's living room. Yeah, drank red wine with him, talking about <laughs> what he was going to do in soccer. I mean, I had lunch with Sir Alex Ferguson. Like yep. I mean, it was awesome. I'm, and, and in the process, your entree was through Liverpool, right? Yeah, and in the process, I become a huge soccer fan. Right. I I love it. I watch it all the time. I go to matches in Europe. I, it's one of my, fa- I mean, I I hate I have to say it live. It's my favorite sport to watch. I mean, yeah. I, I love it. Well, the I, culture around it's
1: unbelievable, especially yeah. live.
0: Yeah, it's unbelievable. You can't. All my American friends are like, oh, soccer. It's unbelievable. It's like watching paint dry. I said it's. You think that until you go there. Once you go there and you see all the build up and you see the passion the fans have. I mean. There's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. It's, a, it's, it's something that I do every year now. I go to, go to at least one or two matches.
1: Here's to sleeping well on a great mattress and our show's sponsor, Mattress Firm. Everyone should know by now, if you listen to this podcast, how important recovery is through sleep. Everyone should also know how important stretching is before an event. And so does Mattress Firm, except they're stretching your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store, where it's an easy win and you play make it, take it with every night's rest. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise, but know this, they are more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed from adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and even bedroom decor. They have you literally and figuratively covered up and ready for the best night of your life. That's real. Go to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to see what deals are happening They're mega and are changing as often as I read these ads. One constant, though, that you can bet on is they offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure perfection and a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. You cannot beat it. Score big with a perfect bed? Head to mattressfirm.com forward slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. When you were in a room drinking wine with Cristiano Ronaldo, I assume you were pitching him on, on coming over to New Balance Warrior. Yeah. How do you try to pitch Cristiano <laughs> Ronaldo?
0: <laughs> well, it's a,
1: it's, it was a surreal. Cause he's the biggest athlete on the planet.
0: Well, it was, it was a surreal experience. And what was really funny is, is that when his agents approached us, and they said, they have we have something we want to present to you. And I said, Okay. This is bizarre. I'm and I was gonna be in um Madrid anyways, because at the time Diego Costa was playing for Atletico Madrid and we were talking to him. So we had a meeting already set up with him and had had breakfast with him after training. And that after that evening we went to go watch Real Madrid play. So we we stayed we were in Cristiano's box with his mother and his son and his agent and watching him play and it was awesome and he was supposed to meet us for dinner afterwards but he didn't show because he had a prior commitment Yep. but they didn't tell us that so they said okay sorry dave he's gonna come to lunch the next day and we go to lunch and they said oh he couldn't make it his back you know he's he's just not feeling good right now but um there's a hotel really close to his house so we'll just meet you at the hotel at five and i'm going back right. in my chain yeah yeah and then I'm thinking to myself this is getting kind of weird so then we get to the hotel at five he's not there I'm like three strikes in a row somebody's not giving us the straight scoop here and I, I literally go to my guy Ben I said let's just get the hell out of here something weird's going on and then his agent goes like so I'm so sorry I'm so sorry he just Chris just thought it would be better if we meet at his house and I go what yeah. he goes yeah his house is five minutes away so we get in the, the car and drive to his house <laughs> and you you, you we, we walk in and it's he's got this like dining room area which is which is wild because you know he's a obviously a very successful young man so he's got all of his trophies in the dining oh. room like man of the match balloon doors like yeah. all i mean i'm just like this is wild and then he comes walking in the room Sits at the head of the table. There's all this cheese and meat and wine <laughs> on the table. And I'm like, because I knew they were expecting us because yeah. there was all this catering there. Yeah. And and then his the, the agent turns to me and he said, Dave, can you tell Chris why you wanted to meet him? And the look you have at me right now. I'm looking at him going, are you kidding me right
1: now? Yeah. I thought you guys. They're just like. It must be some process that they have to try and cut through the people they want to work with. Yeah. And like, so, take you through yeah, it, this washer and dryer and exactly, you're resilient enough to meet him.
0: So he puts me right on the spot, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy, I'm, I can't tell him the w- lacrosse story. He doesn't even know what lacrosse is. <laughs> you should have. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'm trying to find common. to meet
1: this guy, Paul Rabel. He's an <laughs> athlete of ours. <laughs>
0: I'm trying to find a common ground with him, and it was really funny. I spent a lot of time in Miami. So six months prior to that, the guy Ben, who I was with, we were at a nightclub in Miami, yeah. and guess who is sitting right next to us? Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. and his posse of buddies. Yep. So like when like right next to him, I could have tapped him on the shoulder. So I know lots of guys love Miami, right? Right. And so so I'm. I'm like, well, before we talk about business, you know, I want to get to know you a little bit because I'm kind of freaking out that they put me on the spot. I said, you know, what's your favorite city? If you if you could live anywhere. And he goes, oh, I love Miami. He goes, I, I love going there. It's really fun. And yeah. I said, really? I said, can you believe that six months ago, Ben and I were right at Bayola Vida sitting right next to you? Yeah. And then he kind of bugged out because he's like, like, why are you guys here? I mean, wait. You guys were at the club, sitting next to me, yeah. and then I go, no, 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 I'm just saying we enjoy the same stuff. You know, it was fun, yeah. f- fun to see you there, and then he, he loosens up, and then he starts talking about Miami and how much he loves Miami, and yeah. we were swapping stories. He's like, I, I think I could retire there someday, and yeah, so we f- we find like this common ground, and then he just loosens up, and you you couldn't talk about a nicer, more polite, more genuine guy. I mean, you know, the guy's a mega super. Godzilla icon right I mean he's bigger than big and you know people are always scratching their heads like what's this guy like because there's so little of him that's exposed right that's real to the media but as as a guy he's a sweetheart of a guy like a really really nice polite guy and it was interesting because when we were talking about you know his career, and he was like, well, if I did work with you guys, I'd want to get involved with your players. And he goes, I know every player. He goes, I know who works hard. I yeah. know who's partying. I know. He goes, you can't play at the level we play and party. He goes, that's impossible. And then he kind of walked me through the, the daily ritual, like when he gets up and then what he eats and then how he stretches and yep. then he gets a massage and then he he does this workout and then he eats again and then drinks how much water he drinks. And it was just this super regimented routine. They play 85 games a year Jeez. running almost eight miles in every game. Yeah. And, and if, you're, if you follow the dude, he hardly ever gets hurt. Yeah. You know? Yeah.
1: So and it, obviously an insane tangent. We just went on yeah. a, a fascinating story, but <laughs> and, and comes off of risk-taking and innovation. But like, you know, Hey, had you, had you told him the lacrosse story, um, I always say one way that we can hack growth into our sport is to get guys like Cristiano, LeBron, Steph Curry talking about our game. Um, and the other way is, is our topic that led us into that, which is innovation. So the, the next bit of innovation that I want to talk through, because I think it is not only great technology, but it also uh, – our long-term vision, yours in particular, is to kind of lower the barrier to enter lacrosse. And that was through the design of the Warp, which we've been, you've been spending years on. Um, and has just been in the marketplace for just a year about, and we're going through these iterations, but the investment has been larger than any other investment, kind of a similar theme of what we've been talking about so far. Uh, But the vision is around, okay, what are some of the problems, the bigger problems uh, in our sport? And I'll back my way into it. One of the things that doesn't get discussed, and it's not just a lacrosse problem, it's agnostic to any sport, is the churn number. So lacrosse, happens to have a higher churn as does like a hockey or a golf or a tennis because it's more technical it's a ball sport um, so we grow year over year and new participants coming in but it's a really hard game if you pick a stick up off the shelf and your pocket is screwed up for whatever reason and most are and you throw the ball on the ground and the ball sails and you can't keep it in your pocket you're like ah this is a great game i like it on tv but i'm not good enough for this and you hang it up So your thought was, okay, this mesh that it's kind of potluck on whether it's going to work off the shelf is a big problem. There is significant revenue being generated by mesh companies. So it's one of those comfort level areas of where people don't want to disrupt. I know it's going to be another pain point to try to disrupt this, but it's going to be better for the sport overall.
0: Yeah, and in the, the the what I step back and this is where it really came into focus to me and it goes back to my soccer days, is when I was I when we launched Warrior in eighty five countries, I traveled everywhere. So I was in Africa, I was in South America, I was in Central America, I was all over Europe, all over Asia. And the thing that I admired, right, there's two hundred and forty million people playing soccer. There's what, six hundred thousand playing lacrosse. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't think of two on the more opposite scales of the spectrum, but it's so simple. And so even if you're in the poorest of poor areas, people are taping up garbage into a ball and, like, juggling it around, right? And I'm looking at this going, there's something about simplification which makes it so much easier to digest. And what's happened is lacrosse has had this inefficiency of stringing that's that turned into a, a cult following that turned into a whole industry. But the whole industry's celebrating this inefficiency, and it dawned on me. I said, lacrosse is the only modern sport that requires the consumer at all ages to maintain the product or else it won't perform well.
1: And hockey used to be like that, and that changed, right?
0: Yeah, hockey, you'd have a wooden stick, and you could curve it if you wanted to. But even a wooden stick you'd pick it up off the shelf tape it and use it and then it would just break and you'd go buy it you'd go out and buy another one but you could get the same curve over and over again and what i saw with lacrosse is there was this oh i can't i don't want my game stick to break if my game stick breaks and i gotta i gotta start all over and theoretically you've got a stick that's changing all the time while you're playing depending on the weather conditions changing depending on how often you play with it and more importantly, I go, look at a new consumer. You're a mom or dad. Your son or daughter wants to play lacrosse for the first time. You go to a retail store. You buy a brand-new stick. You take a brand-new stick that you paid full retail, and you take it to practice, and the coach looks at it and says, oh, that's not any good. The pocket isn't any good. I won't play. And then you're going, wait a second. I just paid full retail. Like if I bought a brand new baseball bat, you're telling me it's not gonna work? Yeah. If you bought a brand new hockey stick, it's not gonna work. And then you have tens of thousands of opinions on how it should be done. And ages eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. And what's 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 happening in and I see it my son plays elite level lacrosse and I watch their friends is there's a huge disconnect in the marketplace of what the kids think elite level sticks are like so you take a guy like yourself or a guy like mark matthews they they see mark do all these crazy fakes and he has like zero whip in his stick yep. zero hold in his stick but they don't know how to do that right so they overcompensate for it by manipulating the stick so that's the, right the trend that i see most kids are too embarrassed they don't want to drop the ball so they string their stick in this with extra hold they call it yeah So basically, they can run through everybody, right? Catch the ball. The ball won't come out of the stick, but they go to pass or shoot. Right into the ground. It's a disaster. And since most of the clubs they play for are getting fees from the kids, they don't say anything. Yep. I watch this, and I watch a kid run through three people. He shoots 15 feet wide of the goal. And I go, oh, they're definitely going to bench this kid or say something. No, they just put him in the rotation. No one says anything. He... Does it again? Yeah, does it again? He got
1: through three or four people, so that's good enough. But
0: yeah, it goes no skill goes for end. a quick pass, passes it right at somebody's ankle, and I'm sitting there going, "This is this is ridiculous," and you know we need to stage an intervention and we need to make the sport more uh, accessible and easier to play. And so we went after the whole concept of stringing. That's what I call a big problem. In my career, I think it's the biggest problem we've all, we've addressed, but I think we've, you know, struck gold here because the results have been extraordinary. I mean, when you see players at all ages, you know, boys and girls, you know, in, enjoy the consistency that the product offers, it's extremely rewarding to me. And so we, what people don't realize is now, in 2018, you've seen – the four or five models that are on the market there's twenty two additional models that are going to be launched between men 's and women 's lacrosse at all price points yep so we're going to have warps from thirty nine ninety nine all the way up to one hundred seventy nine ninety nine for men and for women and for beginners intermediates and and pros and you've You've seen what I'm talking about at Warrior today.
1: Yeah, I finally caught my breath after shooting hundreds of shots with the different models. Yeah. So for the, the non-Lacrosse listeners that we have, is uh, you know, what effectively would take place prior to this is you would buy a handle, you would buy a plastic head. The plastic head w- wouldn't have any pocket to it. So you would then either pay for a stringer to string it or you would get mesh and you would string it yourself uh, or you could buy the complete stick, but there were basically three parts: What the warp does is it 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 comes as a pocket that 's already attached to the head, and there 's a Kevlar alignment around so for 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 getting into the a little bit of the gritty of of how it 's developed is that previously the tooling on the head was just its own tool it would spit out these plastic heads. Now the process is simultaneous, right so the head gets molded and then the pocket gets installed and it comes out once, which is innovative in itself too, right?
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, we, we've, we in the past, we come out with a new head. You get a patent around it, right? Warrior, I think we've applied for 27 different patents on the warp. Yeah. And I think 14 of them have already been issued. We've already received international patents. And I think in Japan, uh, Europe, UK, Canada, US, and it just goes to sh- in the inno- it's not just the pocket it's the manufacturing process that you're talking about, so there's multi f- phases to it it's the I, the concept of the three dimensionally knitted pocket it's the concept of the three dimensionally knitted pocket pocket integrally molded into the head right yep. so there's a lot of technology there because if you take traditional mesh and try to mold it into a head it'll melt yep right and and the um you know it's, it's been a uh, extraordinary journey but the the part that i'm looking forward to this year is that we have one for everyone and and you know you go back a year ago it wasn't even available for women because the rules precluded that Yep. but i think they there was a a movement when they saw this and saw what this could do for the game that that people were able to accommodate that so the warp could be used for women's play because I look at this as, a, as just as historical as when the plastic head came into lacrosse into the early 70s. And if I take it into a broader context of sport fans, this is like going from a wooden to an aluminum baseball bat. This is like going from a regular wooden tennis racket to an oversized composite tennis racket. For skiers, this is like the long skinny ski to the short twin tip uh, shaped ski this is like going from wooden drivers to metal drivers it just makes the sport easier to play because my opinion there's a, there's a lot of craft and a lot of art to hand stringing and hand stringing is never going to go away there's always people that are going to be doing that yep so but if you want to scale the sport and that's what i want to do i want the sport to go from 500,000 to 50 million yep or 20 million or 10 million but there is no way in hell, I believe this in my heart of hearts, you can scale that knowledge of custom stringing over tens of millions of people in tens of you know, 85 countries on six continents. Yeah, right? it
1: would be like you know, soccer scaling globally, but everyone
0: would have to stitch their own ball exactly. before they played. Exactly. And so this, this technology now that we have for boys and girls, men and women, intermediates and pros, we can ship sticks. To China, Singapore, Mexico, Uruguay, you know, anywhere in Africa, you name the country, and we know with 100% certainty that boy or girl will have an enjoyable experience. Yep. All they need to do is learn the mechanics, and now that's accessible through YouTube. Yeah. Right? Anybody who wants to learn how to catch and throw a ball can find some snippets on. On the web somewhere from, from, from the man who I'm looking at right now. <laughs> I was pointing at myself. Yeah, yeah. Paul Rabel's YouTube channel. Paul, Paul Rabel's YouTube channel. You know, come on now. like it's, 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 it's that easy. Yeah. But we now have a consistent tool that they can use because think about it. Paul Rabel's YouTube channel is giving you all the knowledge more that you could possibly want. But if your stick doesn't work, all of your instruction doesn't mean anything. That's right. And and they could actually be
1: using the same uh, technique that I am, but if their pocket's functioning differently, it doesn't work, and then they think, well, the technique's off.
0: Exactly. Yep. What does Paul Rabel know, right? Because I'm trying to do the same thing, and they don't realize that it's the stick. Yep. Yep. So
1: let's take this sport to 50 million participants, and before then, I guess, which hopefully comes sooner than later, we'll finish this with a prediction. Given your experience in Final Fours, who do you think is going to be in the 2018 Final Four? And then who's going to win? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be fun. It's going to be fun to revisit this.
0: Oh, boy. You know, it, it five, six years ago, I think it would be so much easier. Yeah. Because there was just kind of these usual suspects who always... Uh, you know made their way no matter w- what kind of up and downs they had in the they had in the season but you know I'm going to have to kind of go outside of you know and and pick my my favorites just because they're friends of mine you know I'm I'm always going to root for coach T coach love T that. I wouldn't be here without yep. without coach so T So DU? Uh, yeah, I'd love to see I'd love to see DU and uh you know deep down i'd love to see princeton there but i don't think that's going to happen they're yeah. still in a re restructuring mode i think you could see you could see duke up yep. there yep you know i think that's that's not out of the question i i you know maryland i think is yeah. is always a uh You know, I I was, frankly, extremely impressed with what they did last year. I mean, that was the most disciplined Maryland team that I'd ever seen, and, you know, they were really fun to watch. So I have a feeling that they could could easily be there again.
1: So there we go. We have Maryland, Duke, Princeton – D U yeah. in the final four.
0: Well Princeton's Princeton's a passion play there. I Hey I man.
1: <laughs> Hopkins is my is my predicted champion every single year. Exactly. I get it. You <laughs> gotta
0: pull you gotta pull for the alma mater. Appreciate that, man. It was great. Thanks.
1: If you enjoyed Demo and my conversation, let us know. We're both super active on social media, Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Paul Rabel. His slash theirs is at Warrior Lax. Be the first to listen to next week's episode as well as catch up on previous episodes, including my one-on-one conversation with Demos' former USA teammate, now Johns Hopkins head coach, my former coach, Dave Petromala. The Jays have strung a couple of wins together in the last seven days. As a side note, I'm a proud alumnus. Dave's episode and many more are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your pods. Also, when you find us, hit subscribe. Lots of gratitude for doing so. Shortcut to our show notes, visit suitinguppodcast.com. It's dense. And, of course, a special shout-out to our show's sponsors today, Mattress Firm, ZipRecruiter, and Magic. It's a lot of recovery and a lot of business. They make this podcast go, and I'm so grateful for their support. Sticking point for Dave Morrow, what's your North Star? His was building his company. He did while he was playing for Team USA. Then decided he needed to put every ounce of sweat and energy he had into it. So he made the sacrifice going from player businessman. Have a great week.